Uh, why don't you give Jodie a hand as she comes now? That'd be great. Thank you. I'm actually still kind of recovering from that video. Do you know, I was talking to Alec about doing a hamper video this week. Lockie and Sam, you're up. <laughs> I can't wait to see what that looks like. Some of you know that I am a try-hard mountain biker. And for those fellow riders of Bunya Forest, you might recognize this sign. Lockie, if you could put that up on the screen for us. Sure, Lockie's still distracted by his own video. I'm sure it's coming. No, is it not? Oh, here it is. Thank you, Jesus. Oh no, it's disappeared. Here we go, can you see that? Maybe some of you recognize the sign. Probably most of you go way too fast to see the sign. Um, and it definitely wouldn't have occurred to you to stop and take a photo of the sign because that would just wreck your Strava times. But I don't care about Strava. And I don't really care too much about the adventure, extreme side of mountain biking. I'm really just there to enjoy the forest and not die while I'm mountain biking. Um, but when I saw this photo, you kind of go, oh, don't take it away yet. Oh no, it's now it's not gonna come back. Um, when I saw this photo, sermon illustrations pop up in all sorts of random places. And I just wonder if we could take a little survey here. If you were riding a mountain bike on the mountain bike trail, track seven in Bunya Forest, and you saw this sign, put your hand up if you would go left. Put your hand up. There's a couple. Actually, more than a couple. You guys are so brave. Put your hand up if you think it would be better to stick to the right. Oh, definitely a few more of us. You are with me. Sadly, I have to confess that I go right, much to the dismay of my family. What is it about our human nature that makes us feel like we should get to dictate how hard life is? For most of us, there is something in us that avoids hard. I mean, if there is an easy way to do something, you'll take it, right? Wouldn't you choose that? We don't like pain and difficulty. I mean, how many of you are in grade 12 tonight and you're thinking, I just really love external exams for all the extra effort in study I get to put in at this time of year. Are there any amens here tonight there? No, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. We don't really like going to the extra effort. We like to be comfortable and convenient. We like life to be easy and smooth and pretty much in our control. We are still in our series in Jeremiah and I guarantee the most quoted verse of Jeremiah is 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I love this verse. I've held onto it and prayed it over many people many times. Doesn't it just sound like God is waiting to give us all the good things that we've ever wanted. The confusing thing here is that Jeremiah's life, when we read through this book, is a far cry from what most of us are thinking when we think about that verse. Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet. I feel like I could be called the weeping pastor. Just about every Sunday, I cry in this place. The Holy Spirit has been helping me get in touch with my emotions for a long time now. But Jeremiah's title came from a calling on his life which was extreme when it came to hard and difficult. His call to be a prophet involved a 40-year ministry to preach a message of judgment over God's people. 
His message was that God could not tolerate their unfaithfulness any longer and that they should repent and turn to him before he brought judgment upon them. People didn't hear Jeremiah speak and think, wow, that was so uplifting and encouraging. They didn't think that. More than a hundred times, 100 times recorded in this book, we see him pleading with people to turn and repent. And they didn't listen. His message was not well received. People from his hometown plotted to kill him. For most of his life, he endured persecution, rejection, and even imprisonment. God even forbid him to marry and have children. In all of his years of faithfully sharing what God told him to say, we only see two people who responded to his preaching. Two people in 52 chapters. Jeremiah did not get to witness or experience the hopeful restoration God had promised and planned after judgment came. And it is believed that Jeremiah died in Egypt where he was taken by force after Judah's complete destruction. Not exactly a heartwarming call, is it? Not exactly an inspiring life of following and obeying God. But as we dig into this book and into Jeremiah's life, there is plenty that is inspiring here. In the midst of all that Jeremiah endured, how does he keep going? How does he persevere? How does he have the courage to keep doing what God called him to do? And this is where I think God is taking us tonight. How can we persevere in our faith? But more than that, how do we do it when life is not going the way we expect it to go? None of us would choose life to be tough. But the reality of life is that good people, even people who love Jesus, go through struggles. They die young. They get illnesses and diseases. They have terrible accidents. They struggle with mental health issues, relationship breakdowns, job losses, financial collapse. They have family issues, addictions, shattered plans and dreams. These are the big things in life, but there are little things every day that are a grind and a struggle. None of us would choose these things for our life. If there was a sign pointing out the hard road ahead, we would not take that road. But life is unpredictable and our world is broken and we are sinful. And the reality of this is that we live in the hurt and the pain and the messiness of life. Many people can't get their head or their heart around where God is in the brokenness and suffering of our world. I recently came across a book titled When God's Ways Make No Sense by Larry Crabb, a well-known Christian psychologist and author who actually passed away himself earlier this year. This book was written as he was coming to terms with his own diagnosis of cancer and it has the rawness of someone grappling not just for intellectual understanding of God, but for the hope and truth to hold on to in their own time of challenge and suffering. He says too many of us hold to a gospel that shrinks Christianity into a good enough life of morality, good values, friendly relating to each other, and church involvement designed to win from God the good life of good things that we define as abundant life. But this is not the gospel. And why isn't it? When we receive Jesus, aren't we receiving the gift of faith that God loves us? He's good and he's powerful. He's the father who is in control of everything. 
then Jesus is the son who is interceding, praying for us as our faithful high priest. And then there's the Holy Spirit who's moved into our soul, stirring that divine energy now alive in us and making us new. Surely this all means that suffering should diminish. Surely this means that things go our way. Prayers should be answered. Sin should become less of a problem. Isn't this the victorious Christian life that we have a right to enjoy and celebrate? If this is your view, that you accept Jesus and everything goes your way, with no more problems or struggles in your life, then we have to wonder Are we choosing to follow God or are we asking God to follow us? When life gets hard, when our prayers don't get answered and plans don't unfold and we don't understand where God is and what he's doing, we don't really know how to cope in that kind of gospel. Faith becomes something that doesn't seem to be working for us anymore. How come God isn't doing what I want him to do? It's at this point on our faith journey that we encounter the incomprehensible God. The God who's beyond our understanding, beyond what we can fathom. God isn't so neat and predictable and controllable as we would like him to be. And when we come to that place, it can feel too hard and maybe we do feel like we could walk away or we can press in and pursue him. And I think this is the point where we really get close and personal with God and who he is. Jeremiah takes us on his personal journey with the incomprehensible God. He has this incredible call to follow God and serve him. He's given a message to share and he does it with passion and determination. We don't really know the time span or the chronology of the chapters in Jeremiah, but by chapter 11, who knows how long people have been ignoring and rejecting his message up to that point. But in chapter 11, he finds out about this plot to take his life because he's doing what God told him to do. It gets personal for Jeremiah here. And he takes it straight to God. In chapter 12, Verses one to three, we read, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring you this complaint. This is Jeremiah speaking to God. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You have planted them and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you're far from their hearts. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart. You see me and test my thoughts. Drag these people away like sheep to be butchered. Set them aside to be slaughtered. Jeremiah is complaining to God about the injustice he sees around him. He is not happy with God for not dishing out his justice a bit more effectively. It gets a little extreme when he asks God to butcher people, but you get the picture of how angry he is here, don't you? He's mad. At the end of chapter 14, Jeremiah prays and pleads with God to heal his people. The people aren't listening to him and repenting. So Jeremiah went, I've got to take this all on my own. I am going to stand in the gap here. I am going to change God's heart and mind. He pleads with God not to abandon them. Surely for God's own glory, he would not break his covenant. Even though his people have repeatedly ignored him and turned their back on him. He prays this desperate prayer to God. 
And God's response to Jeremiah's prayer, flat no. That's it, no, I'm not doing that. Jeremiah is not happy with God's response and the the people are now blaming Jeremiah for God's judgment on them. In chapter 15, verse 10, he says, what sorrow is mine, my mother, all that I had died at birth. I am hated everywhere I go. He goes on in verse 15, Lord, you know what's happening to me. Please step in and help me. Punish my persecutors. Please give me time. Don't let me die young. It's for your sake that I'm suffering. Can you feel his injustice towards God? Can you feel his hurt and pain? He didn't deserve any of this. This was God's doing. Why was it happening? And then he goes on to justify why God should let him off the hook here. He's been sacrificing for God. He's been doing all of these good things for God. In verse 17, he says, I never joined the people in their merry feasts. I sat alone because your hand was on me. I was filled with indignation at their sins. Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Just a few chapters before, Jeremiah had preached that God was the fountain of fresh flowing water. And here in in the message translation, I love the way it's put by Eugene Peterson. He says, God, you're nothing but a mirage, a lovely oasis in the distance, and then nothing. Jeremiah feels shortchanged here. He feels ripped off. He's been tricked by God. Are you surprised at how honest and raw this language is? I think his honesty here is key to his relationship with God. In this place of hurt and frustration, he thought he knew God. He thought he had been doing all the right things. And this was not working out the way he thought it should. This is a lonely journey for Jeremiah, as suffering often is. And this outpouring to God shows us that being this honest with God is okay. God was a safe place for Jeremiah to vent and rant. You can't share your heart like that with someone you don't trust. And maybe Jeremiah's arguing with God was actually a measure of his faith. People who know God feel safe enough to argue with him. The skeptics are not so sure and argue and complain about him to each other. Jeremiah couldn't keep serving God without knowing God was actually on his side. That God was actually with him and for him in this call. God wants you to be honest with him. He wants you to pour out your heart. And his word tells us that he, that he hears the cries of the brokenhearted. He hears those cries. This is prayer, isn't it? Honest and real and raw. It's not the pious and religious or the perfect side of us that we often save for God to see when we come to pray. I think we do that sometimes because we don't think he can actually handle the messy, broken parts of us, but he can. Some of you live under the lie that you are too much, too hard, too far gone for the people around you to deal with. And you've projected that onto God as well. But I wanna tell you that you're not too much for him. You are not too hard or too far gone. He is way big enough to handle it all and he does not run away from you. He went to the cross with arms outstretched to welcome you and receive you. 
He turns his face towards you and beckons you to come to him in that raw and honest and real way. When we allow the Holy Spirit to shine light into our darkness, when we can honestly peel back the layers of our pretending and covering up, the hurt and pain that we're shielding ourselves with and from, when we can lay all of that before God and be real with Him, I think that is where our hearts are finally in a position to hear and receive from Him. But prayer is not a one-sided conversation. And Jeremiah certainly isn't. God listens through all of this. God is not merely our audience in prayer. He's our partner. He doesn't interrupt Jeremiah or cut him short. He doesn't walk away. Jeremiah has his rant and then he gives God space to speak. To speak to his open heart laid bare. Do you think God should feel sorry for Jeremiah? Do you think God should wave a magic wand and fix all the injustice and his suffering when he's been so real and honest like this? Do you think God should just force the people into doing what Jeremiah wants them to do to alleviate his anguish and pain? Do you think God should maybe point out the easy road that Jeremiah must have missed the sign for? This is how God responds. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. They will fight against you like an attacking army, but I will make you as secure as a fortified wall of bronze. They will not conquer you, for I am with you to protect and rescue you. I, the Lord, have spoken. God's word is so powerful, isn't it? Jeremiah had immersed himself in God's word, positioned his life to hear from God, to listen to him and obey him when he speaks. If you return to me, I will restore you. Discouragement and despair had overwhelmed him and distorted his picture of who God is. And with those words, Jeremiah was reminded again of God's character in his heart. This was the message Jeremiah had been preaching to the people for years. But right now, it was the message he needed to hear for himself. It's easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves when things don't go our way. We can think we've been given a raw deal by God and deserve better. God wants us to be honest with him. But he loves us too much to allow us to be consumed with ourselves. That is not the life he has called us to. When our complaining comes from self-pity and thinking that God owes us something, that is dangerous ground. And that is the place where our hearts can very easily get hard towards God. Just pause for a moment and think about this. Who are we to think we deserve anything from God? Do we really think we have authority to tell God what he should do? He is God and we aren't. If Jeremiah is trying to engage God here in manipulation and games and guilt trips, it doesn't work. God is not gonna indulge Jeremiah's self-pity. But there is no condemnation or cold shoulder here either. 
God didn't just decide that Jeremiah was done and he'd move on to the next person who would obey him. This relationship with Jeremiah matters to God. He sees the first sign of pride creeping into Jeremiah's heart and puts his fingers straight on it, inviting Jeremiah to surrender it to him. Return to me and I will restore you. He cares about where Jeremiah's heart is at and any hardness that might be there is a barrier to that relationship with him. God cares about where your heart is at tonight. He says, return to me. Let the walls that are building around your heart melt away. I will restore you. There is no need to prove ourselves or earn back his favor. When we are willing to come honestly before God, he receives us. Not only does God pursue the restoration of relationship here, he affirms Jeremiah right in the midst of his suffering. He didn't say he would change it, but he did promise his protection and his presence. He promised to hold him firm and secure. This may not have been the, the answer Jeremiah was hoping for, but it is the promise he needed to assure him to carry on through the suffering and difficulties. In chapter 12, verse five, there's this beautiful reply from God to one of Jeremiah's complaints. In a moment where Jeremiah is about to give up, it's all too hard, I can't do this anymore, God speaks these words to him. He says this, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? God is saying, sure, Jeremiah, what you're going through is tough, but what do you want from life? More money? Popularity? Power? Recognition and approval from your peers? A happier life? A longer life? Are you really just gonna give up and quit now? Are you gonna retreat because it's getting hard and life isn't going the way you think it should? Are you gonna live cautiously or courageously? Would you really be content to relax in the embracing arms of an average life? It might be easier but not better, easier, but not more significant, easier, but not more fulfilling. Are you really looking for the easy road here? The author I mentioned before, Larry Crabb, writes this. He says, I'm in my 70s now and I'm thinking that perhaps I'm just beginning to understand the gospel. It's so much more, but never less than the forgiveness of sin, restored relationship with God and the promise of heaven forever. It's a call to radical discipleship, to a life of perseverance through unpredictable suffering and of joy in knowing there is no condemnation for ongoing failure. It is not an easy life. It wasn't meant to be. God is everything his word says he is. And he loves us incredibly and cares enough to refine us and prepare us for those good plans and purposes that Jeremiah talks about in 29.11. And our part is to keep trusting, to keep holding on to him, to live every day surrendering ourselves to him. I had the privilege earlier this year of meeting a lady named Sujin. Jin a local dentist, and I found out that she had cancer and um, went to visit her. 
And she shared this incredible testimony with me. She gave me permission to share it with you tonight. How do you really know God truly loves you? In my case, it was through the cancer diagnosis. At the age of 43, less than three months ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was the most frightening day of my life, to say the least. And I soon learnt that fear can literally grip on you and shake the core of your body and soul. For the next few weeks, waking up every night in the middle of the night shaking, drenched in sweat and breathless became my normal. In the midst of fear and uncertainty, questions pop up though. Why? Why has this happened? The biggest realisation has been that as many cancer patients do, you reflect on your life and what has led to this divine tap on the shoulder and what the meaning of it all could be. In my case, I learned that God really wanted to show me his love. He really wanted to have a meaningful relationship with me and longingly and lovingly have me walk with him every day. He simply wanted to restore all of that. Being diagnosed with cancer, I realized God was really calling out for my attention and asking me to turn from my ways. Although I've been a Christian all my life, I knew I was slipping with Jesus. He was no longer at the center of my life. I was at the center of my life. And I was living it with my strength and to my pleasure. I realize now that it was such a sinful life, living under the worldly standard and trying to focus, wanting to showcase what I have and what I've achieved, ultimately in the pursuit of money. I was filled with greed and pride. My soul was empty and I'd stopped seeking God. Getting the cancer diagnosis as hard as it was I knew it was him telling me he really loves me and wants me to come back to him. Acknowledging my sins and asking for forgiveness has been the easiest part, actually. God is such a merciful and loving father. Once you confess and ask for forgiveness, reconciliation and freedom simply just arrive. To realize this in my heart fully that it is because Jesus was nailed on the cross and shed blood to forgive my sins has been the biggest blessing of all. There is nothing that God cannot handle. I know I can bring all my cares to him and lay them at his feet. He knows what is best for me and he works things out according to his wise and loving will. I know he is able and he is my God. I will not lose fixing my eyes upon him. He is almighty and he is in control. This assurance is what will carry me through, not only for the cancer journey, but for the rest of my life. Jeremiah expresses this in chapter 10, verse 23. He says, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. So correct me, Lord, but please be gentle. Do you want to run with the horses? You know, I didn't realize when I chose this passage, it was actually Melbourne Cup Week this week. The race that stops a nation with horses. The race where just about everyone, except if you work at a church, it's not a big deal when you work at church, but everywhere else, our nation appreciates and marvels at this incredible race of horses. And I wonder if the struggle you're in now, the things that you are questioning God about, maybe this is your foot race and is using this to prepare you for something far greater, far more impacting than a Melbourne Cup. Something with a value and a purpose which extends beyond this life and will make a difference for all eternity. What is it you want for your life? Do you want to spend it fighting against God? God? 
Or do you want to get on board with what he has created and purposed your life for? Do you want to shuffle along with the crowd? Or do you want to run with the horses? God is speaking tonight. He says, I've called you for a life of purpose. Far beyond what you think yourself capable of living. And I've promised you adequate strength to fulfill this calling, this destiny. And I promise to be with you every step of the way. I'm big enough to handle your fear, your loneliness, your anger, your questions, and your doubts. I'm also big enough for you to trust. Don't give up on your faith. Hold on even tighter when it gets tough. You are in training and the horses are coming. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we thank you for your presence right here. We thank you for your word that speaks to us. There are some here tonight, God, that have put up walls and hardened their hearts to you because they don't get you, God. They don't understand you. They don't know what you're doing and they can't see you. And I pray tonight that they would hear your voice to return to you, God. To lay out their hearts honestly before you and know your voice, know your love, Know that you're going to carry them and sustain them in the midst of what they don't understand. I pray for your restoration over these ones tonight, God. I pray that they be caught up in this relationship of love that you have made them for. Lord, there are others in the midst of struggles here tonight and they're barely holding on. Tempted to turn away, God, because this just doesn't seem to be working very well. And I pray they'd know your strength right now. I pray they'd hear your voice to hold on to you, that you would fortify them, carry them, secure them, God, in the truth of who you are, the bigger picture of what you're doing. There are others here tonight, God, who have been tempted to go the easy road. When you're calling them to sacrifice, you're calling them to lay down their lives for the kingdom. You're calling them to give everything to you. Surrender everything, God. And I pray that you'd fill them with courage, God. Not to live cautiously, but courageously. To know your hand, to know your power, to know your incredible heart for them and the world and the people that you placed around them. And Lord, we just want everyone to see you, Jesus. May you carry us in this race. May you strengthen us for it. May we recognize the race that you're laying before us, God, and run into you. You are worthy. You are worthy of us surrendering our lives to. We honor you and we praise you and we thank you. Restore us, Jesus, we ask in your precious name. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to worship, we're going to respond.
Come on, you come down if you want prayer as well. We could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you, God. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Sing holy.
That was such a powerful word as Jody shared tonight. And I just sense there was a couple of things just to respond to tonight. Um, there's a sense that maybe for some of you say, yeah, look, I'm following God, but there's, he's, he's calling you to something deeper. He's calling you to surrender more to Him, to experience and know the fullness that He has in store for your life. And maybe there's just something in you tonight as you heard, you know, God speak through Jody tonight. There's just something in you said, yeah, I need to surrender that little aspect. That one thing more to Him so I can experience the fullness. Well, I just want to encourage you not to delay tonight, but I want to encourage you to just take a moment. I think we're going to sing a little bit more, but in that moment, uh, just to just to say, all right, God, surrender it. That moment between you and Him, to surrender it to Him and say, okay, God, just take hold of this area. I, I want to know a greater depth with You. I want to run with horses. I want to know what it means to experience the fullness of You in my life. But there was one verse that I read as well. And this is the second aspect. That verse that Jody read out, it says, if you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. And I just thought that maybe tonight there's one other aspect that you need to respond to. Maybe there's uh, something inside of you that you're annoyed about God and something. Maybe something hasn't gone well. Maybe something didn't go to plan in your life. And you just there's a frustration there. There's an anger there. There's something in you that's you're annoyed about something. You say, God, where were you in the midst of that? And, and maybe you too need to respond tonight to say, and, and let, it, let it out. Just say, God, this is my honest thoughts. Pray to Him. Say, God, I'm frustrated. I'm angry about this. But the Word of God says that if you return to Him, He will restore you. That's an amazing promise. And so really, this is an opportunity for you to respond. As we just sing this a little bit more to respond, I'm going to pray, but to respond to Him respond to Him. Father God, I just want to quickly pray. Uh, maybe there's some here that just want to grow a, go a greater depth with You and there's aspects of their life they know they need to surrender and let go of. And so I just pray that You give them the courage. There's an aspect in them that says, I literally don't have the ability. I, don't, I can't do it. And that's great because we can't do it. We need Your strength and Your empowerment, great God. And so for those that just know they need to go, they need to surrender, then I just pray You'd empower them now to let go and surrender to You. And for those that are upset or annoyed at You, I just pray, Almighty God, I really do pray, Father God, that You would, uh, that again, You'd empower them and help them to be honest before You and say, God, God, I'm struggling with this, but I need to let go and to return to You tonight. And as they do that, the promise is that You will restore them. And so thank you, great God, for the promises of your word. And in this moment right now, we have to respond to you. As we sing these words now, we just want to respond to you one last time and say, God, we surrender afresh. We hand it over to you right now in response to you. Let's sing this one more time. Let's respond to our great God in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's respond to him. you're a gracious and merciful God. It's, it's incredible. Uh, this is, oh yeah, it just, it's unbelievable, God. It truly is unbelievable. And 
so we just thank you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your character. We thank you that despite our failing, despite um, our frustrations, we can just come before you, great King. Lay it all before you. And uh, we, we worship you tonight. We honour you tonight. Thank you just for the work you've done in our hearts tonight. Thank you for the word, your word as it speaks into our lives, changes and transforms us. You're an amazing God. We worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, please, please don't go tonight. If there's just something you just feel like, I need prayer for this. We would love to pray for you. It's so important. Uh, feel free to come down and we'd love to pray for you. If you want to catch up or find out more, uh, feel free to head to our Connections Lounge. Uh, but God bless you so much. It's been awesome to have you here. Great to have you online as well. And um, we'll see you soon. Thanks heaps.